to start a series today, uh, a series entitled I Am. We're going to look at the, the claims of Christ today. Of course, we're looking at John chapter 11, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In the year 890, 890 years after Christ, a tomb was found in the town of Larnaca, in the southeast coast of Cyprus. And the inscription on the tomb read this and reads this. Lazarus, four days dead, friend of Christ. Death is something that we all see. We all feel its effect. We have a dread many times about death. It is somewhat of a mystery. Last week, there was a tragedy in the city of Nashville, where innocent lives were taken by someone who had um, mental illness, spiritual death, and it was a tragedy. Last week, Lisa and I lost our favorite pastor, Larry Timmerman. We were youth pastors for him in the 19, uh, 19 late 80s, and he was the best pastor we ever had. He was a mentor, he was a friend, he trusted us, he empowered us, and um, we watched the church grow it's under his leadership. It was just a wonderful time. Then just a couple of days ago, we lost a friend, uh, Philip Burt, who had been suffering for years, and he died on Friday. Death is a reality, and yet we find that Jesus makes the claim and backs it up that he has conquered death. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And today we're going to talk about not so much death, but about the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 11, <clears throat> we find that there are people involved in this situation. There is first Jesus. Second person of the Trinity, co-equal with God, in this time, in this season, he is fully man and fully God. There's Jesus, the one who knows, the one who performs miracles, the one who teaches, the one who, yes, raises from the dead. Then there's also Mary. Now, Mary is in this story, in this event, is the same person that comes to Jesus when he was in a Pharisee's house. He, she comes to him and begins to weep. And her tears are wetting Jesus' feet, and she unloosens her hair and dries his feet with her hair, and then pours perfume onto his feet. And the Pharisees, the religious people in that room, said among themselves, they said, well, if this guy, Jesus, were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is, and he would not let her do that. And of course, we look at this now and we know that it is because she was that kind of a person that Jesus let her do that. Because her tears were tears of repentance. And her tears were tears of sorrow for the life that she had been experiencing. But in Christ, she found hope. That is why Christ came, to be the hope of the world. To help people who say, yeah, I've been living a, a really terrible life, but now I have found hope in Christ. That's the same Mary who has a sister named Martha, who we just read about, 
Martha being the sister of Mary. It's the same Mary and Martha, of course, where Jesus comes to Martha's house and he is teaching, I'm going to say, in the living room. And Mary is at his feet just listening and absorbing everything that Jesus is saying. And where is Martha? She's in the kitchen. She's getting all the pots and pans and the Tupperware, and she's trying to figure it out, and she's going, we got all these mouths to feed. How are we going to do this? And she interrupts Jesus' teaching and says, uh, Jesus, I need help. Could you tell Mary to come here and help me? Isn't it amazing how we tell Jesus how to do his job? Or am I the only one? Yeah, we, we're like, Jesus, this is what I need, and this is how you need to do it. But Jesus says to Martha, and he, and he says it so lovingly, he says, Martha, Martha, says her name twice. Maybe it was because she was still talking and he needed to say her name twice. I don't know. But he says, Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen the better and it will not be taken away from her. He was saying there's a time to cook, but there's a time to sit and listen. There's a time to be in presence of the Savior. There's time to be in the presence of hope. And this is the same Jesus, the same Mary, the same Martha. They have a brother named Lazarus. So there's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. What do we know about Lazarus? He was sick, and in this situation, he died. So as he's sick, before he has died, they send word to Jesus, who's just a few miles away, come quick, Lazarus, the one you love, your friend, is sick, he's about ready to die, come, come quick and heal him, and Jesus hangs out where he's at, he doesn't come quickly, and he hangs out a few more days, and then he goes to his disciples, and he says, hey, uh, listen, uh, Lazarus is asleep, and I'm going to wake him up, let's go, we're going to go wake him up, and of course, one of the disciples said, hmm, if he's sick, he's sleeping, that's better. Let's leave him asleep so he'll get better. And then that's when Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. And they're like, whoa, okay. Just like you and I are in sometimes mystery about, okay, if, if these are the conditions and Jesus says he's going to do this, what? We look at the conditions and we look at the promises and we look at them and we go, there's a gap here because what I see doesn't line up with his promises. And we have the thought that all of the promises of God should already be fulfilled. And yet God says, wait a minute, timing is everything. I am fulfilling these promises. But you got to understand, without a need for a miracle, you'll never see a miracle. And so Jesus waited so that the miracle would be greater. I, I don't want to put thoughts into his mind. It's, he, he's had reasons why he's done everything that he's done. But I would say he wanted them to see a greater miracle. I want, he wanted them to see not just healing, but being raised from the dead. So this is the situation that we come to. So Mary comes, I mean, Jesus comes, and Martha's the first one to, to meet him. And she talks to him and has this conversation that we just read. And she's got the one that has great sorrow. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And he says, well, hold on just a minute. I've, I've got a plan. And what we just read was that interaction to where Jesus makes that bold statement, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he asked this question, do you believe that? Is this something that you believe? I want to talk today about what we believe. I want to talk today about the resurrection and the life. Today's message is pretty simple. We're going to talk about 
two deaths, two resurrections, and one Savior. First off, there are two deaths. The Bible tells us that there are two deaths. The first death is a death that you and I have already experienced. And it came from Adam and Eve. When God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, he said to them, that tree right there is my tree. Don't eat from that. You can eat from all the other trees. Don't eat from that tree. But they decided to do what they had been instructed not to do, and they decided to take what belonged to God and take it for themselves. I encourage you, don't ever take what belongs to God. Give it to him. But they decided to take it and bring it to themselves God said, if you do that, you're going to die. And that's exactly what happened. Now, that death was not an instant fall down, drop dead, the body stops. The body kept going, but their heart, soul, their connection with God, that intimacy with God, that relationship with God died. Something inside of them ceased, and it was a death in that moment. And because you and I are in the lineage of Adam and Eve and we have followed down through that lineage, we are a part of their family, if you will, and we were born into death. Even David in Psalm 139 said, I was conceived in sin. I I was born in sin. He wasn't talking about the sin of his parents like they were in sin somewhere. He was just saying we're all born into that sin. We're all born into death. It is not a death that we initiated, but it is the death that we have participated in. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But do we teach sin? Some people say, well, you know, we're, we sin, therefore we're sinners. It's the exact opposite. We are sinners, therefore we sin. If you want to test that theory, I encourage you to go down to the nursery today into the one-year-old room. And if you'll observe... You will find sooner or later, one of the one-year-olds will go over to another one-year-old and just grab a toy straight out of their hands. They don't ask. They don't say, please. They don't say, could I? Maybe. They just grab it, and on goes the fight right then, right? Who taught that one-year-old to go and take? Adam did. Because that's what Adam did. Adam took what was God's. And now we've been doing the same thing ever since. Let a dictator rise up somewhere and he's going to look back at a thousand years ago. That little piece of property over there used to belong to our country. Let's go get it. And the war is on. That's the death that we have all entered into. But there is another death that we're going to experience and that is the death of this body. Now, let me give you an illustration uh, to to show this and I'll... Hopefully, I'll do this well. It's a, it's a metaphor, if you will. So let's say you're a very healthy person. You're walking down the sidewalk, and suddenly you have a heart attack that just stops everything. Your heart stops. Everything stops. Your lungs, everything, you're gone. You're dead. It's gone. It's over. Done. If someone were to come up and, and, and take a, 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 a pen and prick your little toe, would, would you jump? Your toe's dead. They could tickle your toe, and it wouldn't, you wouldn't, there would be nothing there. It's dead. The toe is dead. Why? Because the heart has stopped. Because we are in Adam, we're dead because Adam caused death. And just as 
It was never God's plan for Adam's body to die, yet sin entering into him caused then the residual effect of his body dying. You and I's body will die. But what if somebody puts those pads on that chest, the defibrillator, and pops that thing, and the heart starts going again? Does the toe stay dead? The toe comes back to life because the heart has come back to life. There are two deaths. One is you were born into it. The other you're going to experience. Because you're here today, you have not experienced that second death, that death of the body. If we want to experience the two resurrections we're getting ready to talk about, we've got to understand, we've got to have a defibrillator put to us and go pop us, get us back to life. Well, let's talk about the two resurrections that we're going to have, and we're going to come back to that illustration. The two resurrections. First is the resurrection of that heart. That part in Adam that died, that has to be resurrected, and we come to find that through the resurrection and the life, Jesus Christ. Jesus said in verse 25, I am that. He did not say, I'm going to show you the resurrection. He didn't say, I'm just going to teach you about the resurrection. He didn't say, I'll point you in the direction of the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. So we do not follow a way, a process, a philosophy, a theology. We don't follow a denomination or a church or a pastor or singers. We follow the resurrection and the life because he is the life that we need. And that brings us resurrection. When we are born again... It is just that. It is new life. It is a newness of what wasn't. And so suddenly, because we have been born again, we are in Christ. Because Christ rose from the dead, we have newness of life. And so we are in this body of Christ. We're the big toe, and because Christ lives, we live. We are in his body. We are in the family of God. We have experienced that resurrection through Jesus Christ. But there is a second resurrection that's going to happen, and that is after our bodies die. After our bodies go into the grave, there is another resurrection. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first and after that. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will forever be with the Lord. That is a resurrection that you and I have not yet experienced, but we will experience it because every person is going to be resurrected. Every body is going to be resurrected. Then the question becomes, resurrected to what? Resurrected to what? If we are in Christ, we're going to be resurrected to eternal life. But if we are not in Christ, then we find ourselves being resurrected to face a judgment in which we will become a very, very aware of our deficiency, not because we were a good person or a bad person, not because of how many sins we committed, but because we are deficient, because we do not know Christ. If you don't know Christ, your body will be resurrected. But in the judgment, you'll be found deficient because you don't know Christ. And that's a place that we, wanna, we don't want to be in. 
There is yet but one Savior and only one. There are not many ways to get to God. There might be many paths to get to Christ, but Christ is the path to get to Jesus, to get to God the Father. Jesus is the path. He is the way. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the only way to the Father. And Jesus said to Martha, do you believe this? He didn't say, do you understand it? He didn't say, can you fully expound on this topic? He didn't say, can you do a life group on this topic? He said, do you believe? And sometimes we, we get all caught up in that, in that, well, you know, yeah, I believe it, but I don't understand it. Well, try to understand it, but stick with believing it. Because that's where the power is found. Yes, exercise your brain, study, learn, grow, yes. But it is the belief that really matters. Christianity sometimes gets a, a bad rap from those who obviously are not Christians because they say, oh, Christianity is just a, just a belief system. They just believe. They just believe stuff. There's no reason for them to believe it. They just, they just turn their brain off. They don't, they're not educated. They're dumb. And they just believe. And it's just a religion of just people just believe in stuff. They have no reason to believe it at all. And unfortunately, they are the ones who are missing the point because we have all the reasons in the world to believe what we believe. When somebody can go and raise the dead and he claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, and the resurrection and the life, I tend to want to believe that guy. When someone lives a sinless life, when someone performs miracles after miracle after miracle after miracle, and he's a fulfillment of prophecy from the moment of his conception to his birth to as where he traveled in the nations that he went to as a child. All fulfillment of prophecies, I would tend to believe that person. We have all the reason in the world to believe what we believe. Because Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the one who causes us to have this rebirth, this resurrection of conversion, and therefore I can trust that I'm going to have a resurrection of my body in the end times because everything he promised is true and it comes true. And so when we have a track record like that, we can believe. What do saviors do? There's two deaths two resurrections, and one Savior. What do saviors do? They save people. They save people who cannot save themselves. Doctors are saviors at times. Counselors are saviors at times. EMT and paramedics and accountants and bookkeepers and CEOs and janitors. The right person at the right time who has courage can be a savior to a person who cannot save themselves, but it is a momentary salvation. It is a pulling you out of the way of a truck. It is bringing you out of water and giving you CPR. That's the kind of saving that I'm talking about. Every one of us can be a savior for a moment, but what about an eternal Savior. Now that's on a whole nother level. Do you have the power, do I have the power to eternally save anyone? Absolutely not. There's only one that has that power, and that is God himself. And God is the one who said, I'm sending Jesus Christ, my son, part of me, that third, that second person of the Trinity, he says, I'm sending him to be the Savior of the world that gives eternal life. 
Not just a momentary saving, but an eternal saving forever and forever. Saviors save people who cannot save themselves, but they cannot save people who refuse to receive the help. They cannot do that. John 3.16 says it so clearly, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes, not whosoever fully understands, not whosoever can preach a sermon about it, not whosoever can teach a class about it, but he who believes will not perish but have everlasting life. Why does God place such a high value on you? You ever thought about that? You ever thought of why, why the cross? Why the cross? Why does he place such a high value on you, on me, on us? This is Palm Sunday, and uh, we know that what was happening, Jesus had entered into Jerusalem, and Mark talked about it last week. They're throwing palm branches down and their coats down. And, and the, what were they saying about Jesus? They were saying, man, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They were quoting Old Testament, which was very safe and very smart of them to do because to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah was, uh, was, was pretty risky. They were doing it but using an Old Testament prophecy. They were just saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Yes, they were attributing that to Jesus, but it's tough to be criticized when you're just quoting the Old Testament. What were they doing? They were saying that we believe God has done something so powerful for us that he has protected us and kept us and he has given us a promise that there will be a Messiah who will rescue us from ourselves. He will be the Savior for us eternally. Not just a Savior from this and a Savior from that and Savior over here and a Savior over there, but a Savior eternally. We believe he's sending that Savior. And now we're proclaiming, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what they were doing. And what they did not know was the process by which God would do that. That he would suffer agony on the cross. And he would die seemingly ruining all their hopes and all their dreams, which is what Mary and Martha were experiencing when Lazarus died. It's like, well, if Jesus would have been here, he could have been here, he should have been here, he could have, but now it's too late. And that's when Jesus goes to Mary and says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? And she said, I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you are who you say you are. And then he goes to Mary. Mary just says, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Why does God place such a high value on you? Because he wants to be with you. He wants you in his presence. That's what he wants. Because Adam's sin and the death that we've all experienced, we have a separation between us and God. And God says, I don't want that. And so he brings salvation to our lives and he brings that born-again experience to our lives and yet we are still in these bodies which are going to die. But he says, I've, I've fixed that. I've, I've cured that. When you are resurrected, you're going to be given a new body. The perishable were raised to being imperishable. The mortal into immortality. The, that which is 
temporal will raise to something that is permanent. He says, I've, I've fixed that. Why? Because I want you in my presence. That's what God is telling us. God wants you in his presence. Both now in the presence of the Holy Spirit as we see throughout the world. But there's coming a day. When all of this earth is going to be changed and all of the skies that we see now are going to be changed and there's going to be a new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth will have passed away. And in that time, we're going to see the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. John writes in the Revelation, he says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And they will be his people and God will dwell with them and God will be their God. And he will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain. For all these former things have passed away. And he says, write these words for they are true and they are faithful. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. God wants you with him. And that's why there's two deaths and two resurrections, but there's only one Savior. And the question is, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know Christ? Have you experienced the first resurrection, which is the rebirth? If you've not experienced that, you cannot experience that second resurrection. But it's only through Christ that you experience both to eternal life in him. Well, I know who I'm talking to today, the people who come to church on spring break. But I know in this moment, even as there are children and young people, you all, we, we press for that answer. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Do you know him right now in your life? You can, but a Savior, Christ, comes and makes himself available. Will you call on him today? Will you call out and say, God, I need you to save me in this moment because from Adam I was born into sin and I'm asking you to remove all of that curse, all of that difficulty, that debilitating effect and forgive me of my sin, the things that I've committed, the things that I've taken. God, please forgive me. Please forgive me.